talk about, I want to talk about Yehuda. We started talking about Yehuda last week, and we knew that there's a tension between Yehuda and, uh, it was tension between Yehuda and Reuven, and uh, apparently Yehuda won. That's what Vayigash Elav Yehuda, which the Medrash says, Medrash calls the meeting of Malachim, a meeting of kings. So the Yosef was certainly a king. He was the king of Egypt. And, uh, and Yehuda somehow at that moment became the king of, of Israel. He acted as the king of Israel. He represented all of the brothers. <coughs> That's what happened to him at that time. Even though Yehuda was not always the perfect uh, personality, nevertheless, at that moment he became he became the the king, the the king of Israel. Also said, also said that the dreams that uh, Yosef had at home at the beginning of the parashah Vayeshev, right? They had two dreams. One was about Shibalim, sheaves of wheat, right? And the other was about the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, in the um, in the Chumash, it would seem that both the dreams are the same which is the way Yosef interpreted the dreams of Paro. I hope I'm not mushing all these things together too much. But you remember that Yosef's interpretation of the dreams of Paro was that the two dreams that Paro had are really one dream. So we, we usually think of Yosef's dreams as also being two dreams that, that are one. But if you look at the Chumash carefully, you see that Yaakov enters into the picture only after the second dream. And Yaakov says, and Yaakov says, what? You know, he kind of has to be, uh, he's offended by the second uh, dream. We could all come and bow down to you. So then there's a problem, the parashanut, there's a problem about whether Yaakov thought it was true, but was trying to protect Yosef from the ire of his his brothers, right? Yaakov knew it was true, but or that Yaakov may have also denied the truth. Rashi quotes the Gemara that says that every dream has something in it that is not true, right? That you know, so maybe, and we learn it from that. We learn it from that from that dream that Yosef had. That is explained. The dream, <coughs> the dream is explained uh, um, at that time. You know. So I said, I said we have to take note of the fact that the content of the dreams are radically different. The first uh, um, dream is agriculture; it's about sheaves of wheat from which you ultimately make bread. It's about bread. The second dream is about the sun and the moon and the stars. Now, if they had to give the sun and the moon and the stars a name, you'd say the world. They, they are the world. They are the creation. They represent uh, <coughs> the, con- the connection between the rebellious Shalom and the created world. I mean, that's what, that's what you might say. So that the two dreams are radically different. Now, the first dream, the first dream came true because Yosef's kingship over the food source of the world is the story of Yosef in Mitzrayim. He was the king of the food. I mean, you know, no commercials intended here. But he was the king who had the power 
of the Shibolim. But he was not the king who became the king over the, the, the prize of creation, which was Am Yisrael. So it could be that the simple pshat is that Yaakov who accepted the first dream as true, but he knew that the second dream was not. That somehow Yosef would lose his, uh, his, uh, primary, uh, uh, his primary position in exchange for Ephraim and Menashe. Yes, like, right, so what does that mean? I mean, right, right. So I'm saying you could say that, but you could also say that maybe Yaakov knew that it wasn't going to come true. Shemaita Davai didn't tell the brothers because he knew the brothers would be angry. But but that doesn't mean necessarily. I, I, I it's true. Rashi says it, but it doesn't mean necessarily that that Yaakov thought it was actually going to happen that way. But in any event, it didn't happen that way. What happened was that Yehuda became the king, and that was Vayigash, Vayigash Elav Yehuda, although we don't know exactly what it was that Yehuda did, because Yehuda himself, as you know, had a checkered history, as they say. You know, he did good things, did things that were not so good, though maybe the not so good turned into very good, you know, because the story of Yehuda and Tamar ends with this remarkable statement that Sadkami many that Yehuda admits guilt in a situation where he probably could have avoided admitting guilt. And uh, that's a, uh, a remarkable thing for anybody to do, but certainly an ingredient in a superior kind of personality. So that's what, that's what we're up to. In this parasha, for some reason, and I can't go into, I don't want to go into it, it's not our topic. For some reason, Yaakov decides to, to uh, bless or to speak to his children before he dies about their future. About their future. And the, the, these statements to the children are different one for the, from the other. However, there's a certain similarity in the children of Leah, Right? Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda. Those are the children of, of Leah. You remember we mentioned that Leah called Yehuda, Yehuda because it was Hodoya. There was something special about his birth. Unlike Yosef, I put that where, it was not, when Yosef was born, Rachel said, I hope I have another child. Which is not a, that's Yosef. Right, that there'll be another child born to me. That's what that's what uh, Rachel said. That doesn't sound like it's such a big compliment for Yosef. That takes something. Oh, Yosef, you know, he proved that I could have a child, so I hope I have another child. But Yehuda, when Yehuda was born, what did what did Leah say? Leah said that that this is a reason for Hodaya, for Thanksgiving, because. Because there are four wives, and we know there are going to be twelve shvatim, and therefore each wife should have three children. Sons. What? Three sons. Three? Three. three sons, right, I'm sorry, three sons. Don't want to get too feminist here. The three sons. So uh, Leah said, I just had a fourth son. 
which means that I am getting, I have received a disproportionate uh, amount of children. And for that, I have to give hodaya. I have to be thanks, thankful for that, so that the, 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 the sign on Yehuda and his name is thankfulness, is hodaya, is toda. Whereas the sign of, on Yosef is a lacking. Like Yosef represents, the name Yosef represents that his mother said, I'm lacking something. I want another child. Right, so that, that from the outset, you know, there's a remez. You know, there's a remez. Once you know the answer, you could find a remez. It's not like the remez leads you to the answer. But I'm saying, since we know that Yosef is not the king, and that Yehuda is the king, so it's interesting to note that when they were born, when they were born, there was already a serious distinction in the naming of Yosef and Yehuda. Whereas the name Yehuda is very optimistic and positive and, and, uh, and, and, uh, and religious, right? In other words, it's connected to God. Whereas the name Yosef is more like complaining. Oh, I only had a child. I want to have two children. You know, like, uh, uh, not, not the way we would think. So the name Yosef has that, uh, that, uh, feeling. So, what? The idea of both of them being Mashiach. I didn't. I didn't say that. It was it. We had a brassel of a chosid in the Shia. I said I don't want to talk about that. I remember there was talk about Yosef as a diminished. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know if Mashiach Ben Yosef is a diminished. Could be. That would be the answer. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Could be. So I just wanted to say now, Yaakov comes to talk to his sons. He doesn't bless them all, but he talks to them about something. So Ruve and Shimon and Levi, he basically explains to them why they are canceled out of Malucha. Right? Ruvain because he didn't live up to expectations. And Shimon and Levi, because <coughs> they went to war against Shem and Hamor, and they did something that embarrassed Yaakov and put the whole... Uh, nation of Israel at that time in grave danger. <coughs> so that uh, even though they won the, the war, they, uh, like, not every victory is the same. You know, sometimes you win and that's the end of it. And in Israel, we know that you can win and that's not the end of it, right? It's just, uh, keeps going along. So it's not always clear whether to call it a victory or not to call it a victory. And then he gets to Yehuda. So we know already that Yehuda is the chosen. And he has these words that, that are written on the sheet. I just quoted the Psukim. Yehuda, Tayoducha, Checha. I don't want to go through all these words. Yoducha is also the word Ladaat and Hodaya. Thankfulness, right? This, that's his name. Yadcha ba'orif oivech v'ishtachavu b'cha b'nei avicha. Gura ye Yehuda v'terev b'ni alita. Somehow you... I mean, these are all illusions. You have to go through Rashi. I want to go to the third pasuk. Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda u'mechokek b'bein ragla. Now those words, well let's say we know what they mean. Shevet is a, 
is a staff, the staff of authority, like a like a king has. Shevet mi Yehudah, mechokek mi bein raglav. I don't know exactly what that means, but mechokek is a jurist or is a decider. Chakika is an engra- to engrave something, like in stone. You engrave something in stone, so it's set. It's usually it's hard to erase. That's why, you know, in the cemetery everything is made of stone, right? Because you want to feel that that it's that the memory is sort of per- permanent in some way. <coughs> so, uh, so that's mechokek. Mibain raglav loyadam maza. We'll look. We'll let Rashi help us. Ad ki yavos Shiloh. Shiloh is uh, there's a Cree in Ktiv which makes the difference, right? The, it's either Shin Yud Lamed Hey or Shin Yud Lamed Vav. Shin Yud Lamed Vav, you see, can be divided easily into two different words, whereas Shiloh is, sounds more like the name of a place. Velo yikat amim. Yikat. You can't. All right, we'll see what Rashi says. You know, I mean, either you know what all this means, or you don't know what all this means. Now listen, lo yasu shevet biyudah pasuk yud. You see the Rashi and pasuk yud. He says mi David va'elach, because everybody knows that if lo yasu shevet miyudah refers to kingship that there was a king of Israel that preceded David HaMelech, whose name was Shaul. And Shaul came from the tribe of Binyamin. And there's no doubt in anybody's mind that the tribe of Binyamin is not the tribe of Yehuda. They weren't mixed in, they weren't mishmash, they wasn't the same, it was, it was different. Even though it's true that Yehuda was very big, Right on the map of Israel, the territory of Yehuda is from Yerushalayim south, as far south as you can go. Someplace in the south, you know, this is like you could have, a, <coughs> if we had a, like a screen, a computer, and a thing, you, I could, I could get one of those pointers, but, but you should be able to, to think of it, right? We live in Israel, so it's not so hard. Yerushalayim, South, all of that is Yehuda, except some place in the south was Shimon, very small tribe that eventually probably got absorbed into Yehuda. Right now, in Yerushalayim, a little bit up from Yehuda was Binyamin, and even though Binyamin was very small and uh, not so important. Nevertheless, nevertheless, it shared a border with Yehuda that ran through the Beit HaMikdash. Right? And eventually, that territory that became the Beit HaMikdash, right, was given over to Klal Yisrael. It was owned by all the Jewish people. And, and Binyamin, was compensated for with Dushno Shelar Yericho. That in Yericho, in Yericho there was land that was given when the, Jew, when the Jews came to Eretz Yisrael. It's like a digressive sort of shear. I can't get to the point here. It says, but the Dushno Shel Yericho was land in Yericho. And that land in Yericho was given to the children of Yitra. 
Because Yitro left. Remember Yitro? He left and went back to where he came from because he understood that since he was not numbered with Yotz A Mitzrayim, with the ones who left Mitzrayim, he would not inherit the land. But in order to try to convince him and his children, his family, to stay, he was given on a temporary basis. On a temporary basis, temporary means about 400 years. <coughs> the land near Yericho, which would ultimately be trans, trans, transferred to Binyamin, who lost land in Yerushalayim. Right? That's where it was. That's where the border was. Right? But he had to get back the land. The land of the Kachi Kedoshim went to Klal Yisrael. It belonged to everybody. So that means in the Nachalah, Binyamin lost. So he got the land that made up for what he lost is Dushna Shel Yericha, like the place that was very, uh, uh, a place where you could grow things and was very fertile. And it was, uh, so for 400 years, it was held by, in escrow by, the children of Yitro. And then it passed back to uh, Binyamin. <coughs> and a little bit to, to Yehuda. But Yehuda was there. In other words, the border of Yehuda was right up to Yericho. Whereas the border of Binyamin was not. So Binyamin became like a tribe that had two, two land masses. Like one was north of Yerushalayim and the other one was near, near Yericho. Uh, I have to just try to remember how we got into this. Yeah. So Shaul, Shaul came from Binyamin, right. right, which was definitely not Yehuda. Even though Binyamin was a little bit north, right, right north of Yehuda, ge- <laughs> geographically, but it had nothing to do, it, it was a different tribe. So no one says, no one says that I know of, it's always hard to say no one says, but no one that I know of says that Binyamin somehow, or that Shaul HaMelech was somehow related to David, <laughs> And it's really the same family. It remains a kasha. If Yaakov Avinu said, Lo Yosu Shevet Mi Yehuda, how could it be that the first king of Israel was, <coughs> was Shaul HaMelech? And it's even worse than that. Because Shaul HaMelech was an anointed king of Israel. He was not just an accidental king. Or he didn't appoint himself king. As we have uh, the stories with, with Yiftach, uh, uh, we'll get into that. But but David but Shaul Amelch was appointed by what Shmuel Anavi and Shmuel Anavi anointed him as king. The halacha the halacha is that the first one in the family has to be anointed, has to be anointed, and therefore the next anointed king that we hear about in Israel, which is also Kasha, is Yeravon Ben Nevat. Yeravon Ben Nevat was anointed king by. Very good. Even though I just said it last week and you remember things that are much longer than that. But uh, <coughs> So you have, you have uh, oh, right off the bat you have these two kashas. What? David was anointed by Shmuel. Yeah, but he's the first one. 
This is what I'm saying. He was the first one. So that's what Rashi says. Rashi says here, Pasuk Yud, he says, How do they answer that? What is it? He says, that's the answer to the question. That that the promise that Yaakov Avinu made Lo starts from David Amelach. Whatever happened before David Amelach doesn't count. <coughs> it could be Moshe Rabbeinu was a kind of a Melech. Right? Moshe was a Melech. Maybe Oshua was a Melech. Maybe the Shoftim were Melochim. But we know that anointed, the anointed king of Israel was Shaul HaMelech was Shaul HaMelech. And Shaul HaMelech is not a contradiction, according to Rashi, to this statement of Yaakov Avinu, and therefore, you could say to Rashi, according to Rashi, this statement, is a promise. It's somehow a promise. And then Rashi adds, up, uh, according to the Gemara, Rashi says, uh, I can't, uh, here it is. Dr. Letterman, it's your fault. Elo Rashi Galuyot Shebebavel Shirodim et Ha'am Beshevet Shememunim Alpi HaMalchut So I don't know exactly what the Ramban, what the Rashi means because I've already studied the Ramban and the Ran. <laughs> and if you, if you learn that, everybody talks about that. So what does Rashi say? That in Bavel, Bavel, what's Bavel? Bavel is exile. Right? The Jews were in exile in Bavel. So if you're in exile, you don't have a king. I guess it's like it doesn't work that way. So the Gemara says, the Gemara says that the Roshe Gola, the Roshe Gola in Bavel, were all from the family of David HaMelech. They were a continuation of the family of Hillel, who was from the family of David HaMelech. And the Reshe Gola were like administrative heads of the Jewish community. And they were given authority by the Babylonian kings. Not Babylonian, I mean, it was already, uh, whoever it was, Persians. They were given a certain amount of authority. So the Gemara is trying to prove to us, the Gemara is trying to prove to us that, uh, that this promise of Lo Yosur Shevet Mi Yehuda was kept even when the Jews were in exile. Even though in exile there's no Malchut, there's no kingship, but, uh, uh, it was kept somehow, nevertheless. There was sort of kingship. That's all Rashi says. Rashi doesn't say anything else about that. And today, today, <coughs> excuse me? Today are there kings? Yeah, so today you have other people. You have, uh, you have all kinds of Jewish functionaries that are uh, federation people and organizational people and you know, everybody has a name and everybody's called the president and everybody thinks he has authority over something. And it's the law of the state that you're in that gives him that authority. The, we'll see in a minute. I just, I just want to tell you, I want to tell you what the Ramban says as briefly as I can. It's too long to bring in and to actually read it. And then the Ran, the Drashota Ran. So the... Uh, the uh, 
the Rabban says, the Rabban says that even though, again, I'm going to paraphrase it and maybe I'm mistaken, but I'm going to want to say it in a succinct manner and I might be overstepping the Ramban's intention a little bit. But I think that what the Ramban said is that this is really a prophecy. It's really a prophecy that Yaakov said. He said, this is how it's going to be. Lo yasur shevet mi Yehuda. And of course, the question is, Shaul HaMelech, Yeravam ben Nevat, and the Hashmonaim. Those are the three, those are the three questions. Shaul HaMelech we talked about, right? Yeravam ben Nevat was appointed king of Israel, of the, the northern kingdom, after Shlomo HaMelech died. After Shlomo HaMelech died, Rechavon was not able to pull it together, was not able to make it, uh, to make it work. <coughs> so Yeravon ben Nevad, who eventually turned out to be the worst of the kings that the Jews ever had, was appointed by a Novi, Achia Shiloni, at the direction of the heaven, to be the king. So the Ramban says, the Ramban says this. First about Shaul HaMelech. First about Shaul HaMelech. He says, you have to understand, when the Jews came to Shmuel Hanavi and said that they want to have a king, he disagreed. He said, you shouldn't have a king. And so somehow the people forced Shmuel Hanavi and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was complicit with this position. When you read it in the Tanakh, it sounds as though HaKadosh Baruch Hu is definitely against it, but is going to allow it to happen. He says, HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, they, they, they weren't disgusted with you, Shmuel Hanavi. They were disgusted with me. They don't want to pay attention to the, to the, to the divine regulations. <coughs> and so, Shaul HaMelech was created in sin. And since he was created in sin, he wasn't really a king. He wasn't really a king. It's like a swara the Ramban has. But David HaMelech, who was the intended king of Israel, just one second please, was intended, he's the beginning. He's the beginning. You can't count Shaul HaMelech. In other words, the Ramban believes that even though there's a prophecy and a directive, whichever one it is, it's either a nevuah or a mitzvah, by Yaakov Avinu to his sons, all the sons do it, it can be abrogated as any other mitzvah in the Torah can be abrogated by somebody who's willing to to do a, a, an Avera. It's, an, it's another Avera, that's all. That's what the Ramban says. Yes. Why did he choose Look, I, I, I wish I knew. No, the claim in the Tanakh is that Shaul was a special person and that there was no one else like him and that he would be able to unify all of the people of Israel under one banner. That's why God invented Nechamki. That's why God said Nechamki and regret having chosen so. Later. Yeah, later. Later, because... Uh, no, later. But the Ramban... 
<laughs> the Ramban deals with a different problem. Not the problem you bring up, but he deals with a different problem. He says, what if Shoal HaMelech had been righteous? That's that question the Ramban asks. He said, <coughs> so then what would happen to the whole system? Which is supposed to be David HaMelech and on. What would have happened if, if Shoal HaMelech was a righteous individual? So he says, he says, okay. So he would have stayed king. But David HaMelech would also have been the king. In other words, the Ramban, the, the system of the Ramban says there's no contradiction between what Yaakov Avinu said, Lo and the fact that there would be two kings, one from Yehuda and one from another, another tribe. And therefore, he's not thrown by the fact that Yeruvah ben Nevat was the king at the same time that Rehavam was the king. Because you have a king from Yehuda, and you have a king from not from Yehuda. That, that's a, that's a, like a Kiddush in the Ramban, where he explains, he explains that Yaakov Avinu just said that kingship would be maintained by the... And, and, and then he, therefore he agrees with the Gemara that says that the Reshe Galusa, they call it in the Gemara, the Roshe Hagola were, uh, were little kings. They were also kings. You know, uh, so that's what the Gemara says. That's what the Gemara says. So any deviation, any deviation from the Tzivui was prompted by an Aveira. <coughs> the great Chiddush of the Ramban, just, I'll just finish this, this great Chiddush of the Ramban comes with the Hashmonaim. Because you know that the Rambam says, the Rambam says that uh, after the battles of the Hashmonaim, Malchut was established in Israel for 180 years. It means from the time of the war of the Hashmonaim until the Churban Beit HaMikdash. He says 180 years of Malchut. Now anybody who reads that Rambam, it's the first Rambam in Lechus Hanukkah, anybody who reads that Rambam is, is certainly says to himself that the Rambam thought this was a good thing. You know, like 180 years of Malchut, it sounds like something we would like to have. But everybody knows that those years were terrible years for Am Yisrael. That the kings that were descendants of the Hashmonaim were, uh, were all Mityavnim, uh, they were they were uh, Hellenists, Hellenists, and they were uh, involved in idolatry of one kind or another, and they they brought the world into this position where the Churban Beit Hamikdash was necessary, and yet the Rambam sees establishing Malchut as being a very positive thing, which is something to think about. They think the law comes the Rambam. And the Ramban says, the Hashmonaim, they made a mistake. And this is the language of the Ramban. The Ramban says, even though they were tzaddikim, the Hashmonaim, and even though they, they saved the Torah, without the Hashmonaim, the Torah would have been lost. <coughs> is what the, what the Ramban says. In taking the Malchut for themselves, they did, this was a great transgression. Because they were Kohanim, and Kohanim are not supposed to be Mulachim. So you have, on this point, 
apparently a, a tremendous contradiction between the Rambam and the Ramban. But the Ramban sticks to his guns. What are his guns? That you can have a virus. In other words, even though Yehuda said, Lo Yasur Shevet Mi Yehuda, Averis can change that. It doesn't mean that, that we have no responsibility. That once the, 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 the pro- prophecy is in place, then we do whatever we want and everything is, is just fine. That's not the way, uh, uh, that's not the way the Ramban understood the prophecy of Yaakov Avinu. It was like a mitzvah. This is what you should do. This is what you should do. And if you don't do it, okay. So you'll suffer the consequences like you suffer the consequences with any, anything. The le- <coughs> Is that the answer that we just, we don't understand the prophecy? In other words, just as... Don't understand? The prophecy. In other words, yeah, just well, as when we're reading the Nevi'im and just, we say we don't understand what that means in Yeshayah, we don't understand what that means. Yeah, but then if you would say that, then what would I say in the Shia? <laughs> Is that a valid answer? I, I don't know. I guess there are things we don't understand. There are words we, we don't understand. We don't understand prophecies. There are <coughs> generally, when it comes to prophecies, no, but, it, but, but in, Rashi, in Rashi, some of them are very simple and straightforward, and you some of them are not. Right, the words are, the words are not always clear. Interpretation, let's say Shimon, where it says that his they will be the teachers. That doesn't follow through. We don't ask the question, well, why... No, because it doesn't say lo yasur. It just says something. It paints a picture. But it doesn't say these words, lo yasur, which seems like a directive. Look, that's... It's too complicated a question, I think, for me to try to answer now. But I want to tell you what the Ran says. I want to tell you what the Ran says. The Ran wrote a book. uh, The Ran was... uh, What? No, he wrote he wrote several things, right? He wrote he wrote a commentary on the riff on many masechtot. He wrote the basic commentary on Nidorim, because the Rashi on this printed on Nidorim is is apparently not really Rashi. I don't mean it's a counterfeit, but it was you know if Rashi wrote um, several editions of his commentaries. Uh, the commentary on Nidorim didn't have several editions. Everybody knows you learn Yeshiva, you just learn the Ran. The Ran is printed on the page where Tosfus is usually printed. That was how important the Ran was. Then there's a series of books called Chidushe Haran. Chidushe Haran is a different book. It's not, there's the Ran on the Rif, and there's a Ran on the Gemara and Nidorim, and then there's Chidushe Haran. Novelé in English is you know novel notions about the sugya, like other rishonim like the Ritva, the Rashba. So the Ran wrote also chidushim. The Ran also wrote a book of machshava, which is a very interesting book because it covers all the topics, right? And it gives you a very good, clear picture of a lot of things. And that book is called Drashot Haran. <coughs> Drashot around there are nine of them, nine drashot, and you know all the topics from uh, Gan Eden until uh, the end of the Torah. All the topics that are generated by the Torah. It's a great, it's a great book to learn if you, if you have the energy or the time. 
you should give it a try. So the Drashot Aran, he take, has a different position. He says it's a promise. Lo yasu shevim lo yasu. What about all the questions we had before? What about all the questions we had before? He said, look. He said, the Yaakov Avinu never said that Yehuda would be the only king in Israel or that Yehuda would be the all-powerful king in every generation. But, he, but Yaakov did say that Yehuda would always be the king of Israel. Always. And so, so he says, uh, he says, uh, like Rashi, Shaul was before David HaMelech, so he doesn't count, right? He leaves that out. Then he says, Rechavam, well, they was, he was at the same time as Yeruvim ben Nevad, but he was still the king of Israel. The Chashmonaim, he disagrees with uh, he disagrees with um, with the Ramban. Disagrees with the Ramban. The Ramban said the Chashmonaim were chotim that they did an avera, right? That they did an avera by taking kingship to themselves. <coughs> the, Ram, the Ran says there wasn't really kingship because during that period of 180 years from the battle of the Chashmonaim until the destruction of the temple the real authority in Israel was first the Greeks and then the Romans. And therefore, even though the Romans allowed for sort of quasi-self-government as long as you paid the taxes, as long as that quasi-self-government was in charge of paying the taxes to Rome, so they let them, they let them function. And you see that you see that also in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah that uh, that Nehemiah <coughs> Nehemiah's power came from uh, from the Persians. He was uh, a high-ranking court officer, and he came to Eretz Israel to straighten things out. But he was not the king of Israel. He was empowered by the by the Persian government to do whatever he did in, in his, and that's how it was in those days. So the Ran says the Hashmonaim were truly righteous and saved the Torah as the Ran admit, as the Ramban admits. However, however they, uh, they were not real kings. But they had a little bit of authority. And that little bit of authority does not contradict the promise of, uh, of Yehuda of Yaakov to Yehuda. And therefore the Ran's interpretation of this Pasuk is when there is kingship, it will belong to David Amelach. But when there is authority but no kingship, that could belong to anybody. Anybody could be that that authority. And this meshes Who? Shalom was before. He agrees that it was before before kingship. It, it, the, kingship? Because kingship started from David Amelech. Because he's from Yehuda. It was, he, doesn't, he doesn't answer yeah, that question. Like, uh... <coughs> he doesn't answer that question. He, his, his position is that from David Amelech, the king of Israel, when there was a king in Israel, was always from the family of David Amelech. The fact that others had authority 
and we're able to make determinations, that doesn't mean, according to the Ran, a contradiction to the prophecy or the directive of, uh, of uh, Yaakov. And this fits in with another statement of the Ran. This is in the seventh, what I'm quoting you now is in the seventh drasha. And then there's the ninth drasha, where he talks about the difference between a melech and a shofet, a melech and a dayan, where he tries to explain uh, that dayan is very closely connected to a Baruch That all psak, all psak is divine in some in some regard. So uh, you could explain it. You say this. The Torah says, "Al pishnaim edim yakum Right? That two witnesses do it. One witness, nothing, not worth anything. Two witnesses. They do it, and that's of two witnesses come and say, Reuven killed Shimon. So the court is able to say, Reuven killed Shimon. Even the court wasn't there, and they never saw it, and they were never there. And furthermore, isn't it true that the two witnesses could be lying? I mean, why couldn't two witnesses be in collusion with each other to lie? So that, that, uh, <coughs> that the Ran tries to explain that the court system is based on an intimate relationship with HaKadosh Baruch By the way, in this case, the Ramban agrees with him. When uh, on the Pesach in Gitaitse, the, the, the Ramban explains something very similar. But the Ramban says in the ninth of Drashah, he says, the reason that the court can be confident when there are two witnesses who say that Reuven killed Shimon, is because God would not allow it to be otherwise. And therefore, and therefore, it's very important that the Dayanim be of a certain type. There are people who are very involved in the Torah and very connected to Kodesh Baruch Hu, etc. <coughs> he says, Malchus is different. A Melech does things that he sees for the good of the people. Right, malchut is for the good of the people. It's it's like an administrative position. It's an administrative position. So in the drasha that we are talking about, what the Ramban said, what the Ran says is that there are two kinds of kings. Right, there's the king that that <coughs> that uh, Yehuda, the king Yehuda that was that was directed by Yaakov Avinu, and that's a king who has both authority and closeness to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. You remember that the halacha is that the king has to write a Sefer Torah to be king. and has to strap it onto his arm. He has to keep it there all the time. If he goes out to war, he has to keep the Sefer Torah strapped onto him. It's not like a little mezuzah. I mean, a Sefer Torah, I mean, it's uh, like a thing. It could annoy you if you have to fight the fight or something. But that, that's what the halacha is. <coughs> what? What? Yes, but he has to carry one. He only carries one. <laughs> so, so, uh, you know, there, there are these two kinds of kings that the Ran recognizes. The kind of king that is. God's king, so to speak, 
And the kind of king that is an administrative king, that you do something for the good of the people. Now this ran, I don't want to get anybody nervous, but this ran in uh, the years after 1948, the establishment of the Medina, when people were looking for ways to understand, like, what happened? You know, what happened? So, there was a wide range of positions of what happened, from something to nothing. Actually, there were very few in 1948, this is the way I understand it, the way I've been told, that in 1948 there were very few people who thought it was nothing. I mean, they said Halel and Panovich. And they said Halel certainly in Hebron. What? Meishor, of course, and Meishor, they're good people. They're not political. I mean, people in Meishor are not political. But, but as everything became politicized, so everything became a political act. Are you for it or against it? So, so everything changed. But in the beginning, in the beginning, uh, most people thought it was a, a wondrous thing that the state of Israel was, uh, was declared. <coughs> so in looking for a rationale, you say, how could David Ben-Gurion David Ben-Gurion, right? Not the airport, the person. <laughs> the person. How could he be, how could he be the agent? Like, we, we knew that Nebuchadnezzar could be an agent of God. Because Nebuchadnezzar, you know, he, he doesn't prove anything. He came and he destroyed at God's direction. So he destroyed, I mean, he's gone. He's gone from history. But you would think that if the Jews would return to Eretz Yisrael and reestablish some kind of uh, independence here, that it would be spearheaded by people, you know, who who were learning Gemara, Rashi, and Tosus, and not by Ben Gurion. So this ran was adduced by some to indicate to indicate that well, there's two kinds of Malchus in the world. There's, there's God's Malchus, which we don't have, but then there's administrative Malchus. We need a smart, like, like the Egyptians needed Yosef to give out the food, so we needed somebody to organize things, to get it going. What? Herzl, sorry. Herzl, yeah, yeah, but Herzl was not a leader in Eretz Yisrael. He was the leader of the Zionist movement, which which is a little bit different. But in any event, that's, that's the way people argued the case. Right? Today, like I said, everything's political today. See, if you're on this side, you, you don't think about it too much. And if you're on that side, you don't think about it too much. So, uh, so that's, how, that's how it is. In any event, these two ideas exist in these two great Rishonim. According to the Ramban, According to the Ramban, what Yaakov Avinu said was a mitzvah. Do it this way. Like every mitzvah you can be, you can abrogate the mitzvah, you can decide to be a, a sinner. And so in different points in Jewish history, the Jews were sinners. The Ran said that it was a prophecy. And it does, it does come true, and it does keep its, its, uh, um, itself. And wherever you think there's a deviation, it could probably be explained by saying, that that is not about real malchus, but it's about something else, about administrative authority of one kind or another. <coughs> okay, have a good shot.